Gabby. I'm Kim. And uh, we have a really awesome topic for you guys today. We do. <laughs> Kim, what's our topic? Our topic is Madame LaLaurie and the LaLaurie Mansion. In New Orleans. New Orleans, where you just were. And you, you stopped by here, correct? I did. I did like, a couple not times. Because it's not open to the public, but you walked by it. You saw it. Yeah. I went right before Halloween. And oh, that's cool. So I went in the first week of October and it was decorated in a really like distasteful way, in my opinion. Distasteful, like tacky or yes. distasteful? Oh. What was okay. the second option? Uh, I mean, like morbid. Both. Like distasteful, like uh they were hanging inappropriate things from the, I mean, cause you could go given this history, you could go distasteful in a really awful way. Yes, they did that. Oh, really? Yes. In the entryway, which is gated off. So you can't even like walk into the entryway, but they have this little gate and then behind it is the walkway to the front door. And so in that space between the gate and the door, they had all this like tacky stuff that you would find at like a Halloween store that wasn't even like legit stuff, um, not legit stuff, but just looked like cheap. You know, when you yeah, see like, like really like cheap party store, like the dollar store kind of cheap. Correct. Which if you own the LaLaurie mansion, you'd think you could spring for the like, you know, spirit of Halloween level stuff. It said, welcome to the butcher shop. Oh, that's gross. something of that nature. Um, but yeah, it's just like to your point, both. <laughs> Um, and there had, I think there was like an alien head in there too. Like it was just not, not exactly what you would expect, but yeah, I mean, there's so much history behind the LaLaurie mansion and I believe it's pronounced LaLaurie if you pronounce it appropriately because it's a French name. Madame LaLaurie. Do I have to say LaLaurie? I was uh, butchering it royally, pun intended, uh, all the whole time that I was there until a, a tour guide corrected me. <laughs> all right, Madame LaLaurie. Uh, well, and, and to that point, um, there is a lot of misinformation. Sure. About Madame LaLaurie. <laughs> there totally is. Uh the folklore surrounding her, the kind of urban legend surrounding her has almost surpassed the real history. Although I'd say in more recent years, there's been an effort to kind of um, steer back towards looking at things a little bit more objectively. Yeah. Uh, the, the hard thing, and this was something I encountered when I was doing research for this, um, Beyond sometimes a lack of concrete information, there's conflicting information. Uh, And a lot of what we have to go on is based on newspaper articles, uh, some court records, correspondence between people. Sure. Uh, So you're, you're left kind of trying to piece something together without necessarily the the greatest of firsthand accounts and and what something i'd actually read that i found really really interesting it was uh in a somebody's like disrotation that i was reading through that was talking about it is that all of the accounts like even the the quote-unquote firsthand accounts that ran in the paper at the time they were all from her her neighbors mm-hmm. uh 
people who'd gone and witnessed it, but not a single one of them was from any of the slaves involved. That's interesting because I feel like, I mean, maybe the slaves that were involved didn't really have access to have a voice. Right. But I think that's that it's an interesting thing that there is absolutely no record, at least not that I could find. I shouldn't say there's no record. It was absolutely not a thing I could find where anyone had gotten or at least recorded and published a firsthand account uh, from any of any of her slaves. Uh, but for those of you at home who have absolutely no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> rewind, rewind a little bit. Uh, so Madame LaLaurie was not born LaLaurie. She married into that name. She was uh, Madame LaLaurie was born Marie Delphine McCarty. I'm probably saying that wrong, too. <laughs> I love how fancy you said her first two names and the last. McCarty is McCarty. just very Merca. <laughs> Let me see how Merca that can be. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of names I'm probably going to butcher in this, so I'm going to just give a blanket apology. All the puns. Uh, so she was born on March 19th of 1787. Okay, more names to butcher. She was the daughter of Chevalier Louis Bartholomew McCarty. <laughs> Maybe it's McCarty. McCarty. <laughs> McCarty. But it doesn't. It looks like a, like an Irish name or, or a Scottish name. Like it, McCarty. That's how it's spelled. Um, right. Marie Jean Lerable. I'm Lerable. I'm butchering all of these French names. I'm, anyone who speaks French listening to this is probably just their ears are bleeding. Uh, they were a white Creole family. She was the part of the second generation who was born in America. Uh, okay. Their family originally did come from Ireland. They were well off, and there is not a whole lot of information about her early life. She was a fairly privileged young girl. Uh, There's nothing recorded to indicate either what she would later become. Uh, There were, and this is mostly folklore, uh, there's stories of her mother, father being killed by a slave. There's absolutely no evidence to back that up or support it. She had an uncle who was killed by a slave in 1771. Really? But she was born in 1787. So she shouldn't have been affected by that. No, no. And even if her family, you know, felt particularly strongly about this uncle that was killed by a slave. And so she grew up with a little bit of that in her head. I, I can't imagine that it was such a part of her everyday life that it would later, uh, influence her in that respect Mm -hmm. um there was some evidence linking her family to the 1811 slave revolt which was massive but there was nothing that showed anyone being killed by 1811 she was already well into her second marriage (laughs) so uh, i don't think there's a whole lot in her early life that would uh, would have influenced her in, in that respect. She married her first husband sometime around 1800. She was 13, 14 years old. Oh my God, that's so young. Uh, even for the time, that's that's pretty young. Uh, he was a Spaniard, another name for Kim to mispronounce, uh, Ramon Lopez de Angulo. Angulo? An- mm. <laughs> <laughs> Discover me, Ramon. It reminds me of uh, (laughs) 
Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. Anyway. It really is. <laughs> I should start saying. Um, he was a high-ranking uh, Spanish officer, but uh, he apparently did not have royal permission for the marriage. I guess that was a thing you needed. Wow. So he was, yeah, uh, he was relieved of his duties, duties, not duties, and <gasps> very, very important distinction, uh, and sent into exile. He would be pardoned and was given a new position in New Orleans, but he died off the coast of uh, Cuba on the return trip. And then Shucks. She, I know. <laughs> but then she gave birth to their daughter in Havana in 1805. Uh, Marie Delphine Francisca Borja, who was called Borquita. Oh, Borquita. Borquita. The only is- reason I know that is from American Horror Story, but we can talk about that. We can later. talk about that. That's cute, though. It's, I like that. That's a cute name. Um, so her, her first daughter was born in 1805. Okay. She married again in 1807 or 1808 again there was some i saw some discrepancies as to the exact date uh to a french merchant lawyer and banker named jean-paul blanc he was also a slave trader and allegedly had a connection with uh, jean lafitte who was a pirate and private oh oh he had a bar and i went there and it still exists (laughs) Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, um, Lafitte was a, is a really well-known pirate type individual, um, and that's one of the I, oldest. Mitchell, you could just say pirate. That's that's <laughs> what he is, right? I, I mean, he's <laughs> allegedly a pirate, but I feel like saying pirate type individual gives him a little bit more of um, maybe options. <laughs> he was listed as a privateer in some records, but depending on what country you were on, somebody was either considered a private. That's true. And Got it. since privateers were essentially like government sanctioned pirates, depending on which side of the like who whose side you were on. Yeah. Uh, you know, one one country might consider you a pirate and the other is like, no, 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 they're legit. They're legit. Anyway. Anyway, uh, Lafitte's is a real place you can go to. It's a bar um, and it looks like an old, old house. It's it's the oldest functioning bar in New Orleans. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I kind of want to there now. That's pretty cool. Also supposed to be haunted, right? But, I was going to say, of course. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, like, doors open in the bathroom on their own. But uh, who knows if that's real. You know, I'm amazed. Can we can we just talk about this for a second? How many hauntings I see where part of the haunting is doors in bathrooms opening or closing? And that that leads me to a few different conclusions. One, ghosts <laughs> still have to be. Which... <laughs> You know what? That's got to suck. I would kind of hope if I died, I wouldn't have to pee anymore. That seems like a personal problem. It seems like a personal Or two, all ghosts are perverts. And they like to watch people pee. I mean, pirates? Pirates you would like think, to watch people pee. Why not? I mean, they're pirates, right? You I don't know. They all just like pee off the, the, off the ship or something? Wouldn't you get I, to see people pee all the time? I guess. We're saying the word pee a lot. Drink. Drinking. drinking game that's like an ironic drinking game name or word because <laughs> then it'll make you pee exactly say pee because you have to go pee anywho uh so lafitte lafitte well we we've moved on from lafitte lafitte yeah. had a mind connection to to her second husband uh, jean paul blanc 
He uh, owned a plantation on the bank of the Mississippi River. He owned 26 slaves. Now, with Jean-Paul, she had three more daughters and a son. So this brings the total number of children to five. He died in either 1815 or 1816. So by the age of 28, she had five kids and two dead husbands. Dang, Gina. Dang, girl. Now, there was a a really great article, and um, we should have the link on the website to all the sources that were used. But it was from the the Deep South magazine by Aaron Z. Bass and Ann Wheeler. Uh, And it it gave a lot of really in-depth and interesting details about her life and trying to separate some of the fact from fiction. Um, There was one specific detail that I found really interesting, and that was that when her husband, John Paul, died, she emancipated a slave that they owned named Jean-Louis. And it's not the only time she did that. So at this point in her life, there, there is no credible evidence that she was, as of yet, horrifically mistreating her slaves. She still owned slaves. So there's that. But a lot of people did during that time, too. Did. And and there's there's nothing. And and what's funny is New Orleans actually had uh, stricter laws than the rest of the South in regards to the treatment of slaves. Now, again, it it wasn't like this was a paradise. Everybody's running around hand in hand. But there were laws about the treatment of your slaves. Okay. Uh, But. During this time, there was also talk, apparently, that about how kind she was to her slaves in public. Now, the in public part, I think, is important to say that a lot of times people are kind in public. Right. But it there is nothing to show at this point in her life she was mistreating anyone. Uh, so between her her wealthy family and her two dads, She's doing pretty good for herself. Uh, she meets Louis Lalaurie, and he was uh, a doctor. He'd studied medicine at the Sorbonne in Paris. Okay, I got to stop doing that. Oh, my God, drive. it's working. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to permanently talk that way from now on. Uh, oui, oui. <laughs> uh, and he actually like so he he came to new orleans in uh, 1825 at the age of 22 and he he advertised himself as i quote a french physician acquainted with the means lately discovered in france of destroying hunches wait so did he like what kind of hunch like a hunchback or i got a hunch like, like hunchback oh, so okay. <laughs> he would stretch patients like out on a couch to help straighten their spines. Interesting. And because there's there's not really anything to show exactly how they met. This could have been the reason they met because her daughter Pauline had a spinal condition. Oh. So one of the uh, prevalent theories is that you know, Madame, La- well, at this point, was she was Madame Blanc, uh-huh. uh, read the advertisement or heard about him and took her daughter to him for treatment. So they meet. 
they hit it off. Clearly. Uh, it's 1825. He's 22. She's 38. Yas queen. You go. You go get that girl. Uh, by 1826, they are involved. They're going steady or they're just having sex uh, or all the above. Um, which, I mean, it, she's this point, she's a widow two times over. She's got five kids. Like, whatever. Go for it. And she's got money. Right. Who cares? You're also in a lawless city that doesn't really care as much. Well, that's not entirely. I mean, yes and no. Um, she was still, though, a fairly prominent society woman. Okay, fair. There's more scrutiny. It, it doesn't mean that people were like, uh, particularly a widow. I, I think there's a lot less scrutiny at that because sure. at this point, you're you're not a virgin. Nobody's you know you got five children. Right. Nobody's looking at you being like clutching that pearl, saying, "Oh my goodness." Uh, I don't know. Maybe they were. <laughs> I just like to clutch pearls. <laughs> now, the, the natural consequences of having sex with someone in the 1800s is the very likely possibility of pregnancy. And uh, our friend Delphine has already shown herself to be quite the fertile myrtle, as it were. She's got five kids at the age of 28. Yeah. That's that's so She got pregnant. Again? Her, again. Ma'am. With her sixth child. Um, and gave birth to a boy around 1827 or so named Jean-Louis. Now, this is what I found rather interesting. They did get married, but not until five months after his birth. Huh. I wonder why. So this is the thing. And, and I read different things about this. And there was one account that said he had actually left. And it was his brother who was like, dude dude get it together knock this chick up you gotta you gotta marry her (laughs) i found that just really really interesting uh so they did get married though Uh, by by 1828 they were they would get married um another reason he may have wanted to marry her as i'd mentioned delphine was doing okay financially yeah Um, she was pretty wealthy wasn't she she was worth about sixty six thousand dollars that's a lot at that time well and i i I actually broke it down so was worth 2000 So breaking this down by today's standards, because this is remarkable, he was worth, by today's standards, about $52,000. She was worth about $1.7 million. Dang. Yeah. So another reason he may have been kind of stoked to marry her is money. Well, yeah. Uh, and I mean, she's what, like 41 at this point, and he's about 25 or so, 26. That's going to set you up. Um, even if you're, there's a significant age difference between you and your spouse. Sure. Uh, now, things went south pretty quickly. Um, they did not seem to get on very well and were very unhappy together. Uh, they started living apart a lot of the time. And in 1831, she purchased the property which would become the La Lorie Mansion at 1140 Royal Street. Now, it was uh, in progress. The, the person who owned the land had been building on it. And so she bought it before it was finished. Oh, cool. 
1832, she petitioned the court for a separation from Louis, claiming that he beat her. Oh. And another, again, interesting thing is that this petition happened a little bit before she would petition to emancipate another of her slaves. That is so crazy. I've never heard that before. That's nuts. And there's there's records to back this up. And that was the... It, it's just, it's interesting. Right. A letter that was written by a neighbor of hers named uh, Jean Bose. B-O-Z-E. I don't know. Jean Bose. Bose? Bose? I don't know. Let's get real I like, French. I like Jean Bose. Just because that sounds kind of like trombone. <laughs> trombone. Jean Bose. Anyway. Uh, he, he had written in a letter about their marriage they do not have a happy household they fight often separate and then return to each other which would make one believe that someday they will abandon each other completely that's also a nosy neighbor oh well i mean come on it's it's the south and it's the yeah, 1800s totally everybody's do? doing that there's no real housewives you just have to watch it live with your popcorn right and then write about it later <laughs> and write a letter to your sister <laughs> OMG, do I have gossip for you? By the time they receive it, it's like six months later. (laughs) Like, everyone's dead because mortality. Anyway, uh, now this is where we start to get some rumblings about her mistreatment of her slaves. Oh, okay. So, what does it say from what you found that was documented? Um, well, so, okay, so between 1816 and 1834, she owned at least 54 slaves. Wow, that's a lot. There, It's a lot. However, there had been no formal accusations of the mistreatment until her marriage to LaLaurie. Uh, 1828, which was when she married him, that's when you start to see the rumors starting. And one of the things the same neighbor, good old Jean Bose, or Jean Bose, wrote another letter like my god what a little gossip hound he was uh, he wrote about the barbarous treatment of her slaves saying she had them incarcerated letting them be given only the bare necessities and there were accounts of her starving them there were talks that uh, some of the stories talk about her daughters trying to feed them and if she found out she would beat them their receipts for a defense attorney for when she'd been brought up on criminal charges for mistreatment of her slaves and allegedly there was uh three total times she was investigated but oh wow this was a little hard to verify but it looks like it it most likely is true um harriet martineau who visited she was an author she visited new orleans uh a couple years after everything went down and she spoke to a lot of people who had been there, who knew her and wrote in her memoir, the retrospective Western travel, um, quoting that it had been long observed that Madame La Lorie's slaves looked singularly haggard and wretched. However, a lot of what later gets reported, um, does not match any of the accounts. So, there were rumors, and I and I stress the rumors on this because the stories got embellished 
a lot. There's a story of a slave who wanted to escape the cruel treatment, so they threw themselves off of the roof. And I found evidence of a couple different variations in the story. So there was one about a little girl. Yep, I've heard that one. Yeah, who Leah is is the name that's often given with Uh her. And that she was, it looks like 11, 12 is what I often saw associated, but sometimes it just called her a young girl. And that she had accidentally burned um, Madame LaLaurie. Uh, while curling her hair. So the story that I heard was that she was brushing her hair and got it a knot. Ah. So I like, and so like she yanked it and pulled Lalaurie's Madame Lalaurie. I can't even say it now. Um, <laughs> pulled her hair and Interesting. Uh, Madame Lalaurie freaked out at her and started to chase her. Yeah. And because the little girl knew what she could do, she was scared that she was going to do something awful to her. So instead, she jumped out of the, I think, second or third floor window and And, died. And this is where, again, this is where the stories start to both blend into each other, but change because I saw the curling iron one. But allegedly, she threw herself off the roof because there was another man, another of her slaves, who jumped out the third floor window to escape from her. And that window was cemented shut after the incident. Interesting, because I also heard that there was a ghost story about the little girl. Yes, which I, I have some records, or I have okay. some, some accounts pertaining to. Um, but it's... This was a... During the research, this is what I kept encountering. Is that there's multiple different stories that seem like they overlap, but they're not, like, full records of actual facts and i mean it makes sense too that it might not have been documented either because at the time you know documenting stuff like that wasn't important to people right and so looking at stories anytime stories are being passed down orally uh it's like the telephone game it's it is it's a giant game of telephone so starts off as could this be one story could this be multiple stories yes Yes to all of it. <laughs> and and it's it's doubtful we will ever know 100%. Like what actually happened. What actually happened. But so much of it is like blown out of proportion too. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and that's, again, that's part of what's hard is that there's there's so much sensationalization about this story. I'm trying to kind of, of keep it chronological just to sure. for anyone who may not be familiar. Um now, there there were also rumors that her husband was practicing voodoo medicine on the slaves, experimenting on them. Uh, so the, both of them were then messing with the slaves. Well, maybe. Potentially. Because, so the there was a description of, of the slaves found in her attic uh, saying, quote, their limbs stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. Now, this is a man who advertised that he treated people with you know who had spine conditions by stretching them so that would make sense if that were to have happened that would make sense uh however there's a there's a book that's been written about uh madame delorie by carolyn merrill long and i i got uh some very very good info info from him she or her excuse me she's done extensive research cool and um she argues that she does not think this was the case 
specifically because he was a physician, things like the wounds that were allowed to fester, the starvation, if he was doing experiments, that wouldn't make sense. Okay. Which I, which I, I get. If you're trying to do it, if you're doing an actual medical experiment and your patient dies of an infected wound, you can't. I mean, that's it's awful across the board, but I kind of understand the logic there. Sure. Uh, now, on April 10th of 1834, a fire broke out uh, that morning at the mansion. It started in the kitchen, which was located below the slaves' quarters. There is some debate about why and how the fire broke out. The main version of the story that is told is that the 70-year-old cook was chained to the stove and that she was starving. She set the fire, it is said, deliberately either to try to get someone's attention or possibly as a means of committing suicide. Now, this is one of those things I want to stress is not verified. Okay. So the firefighters show up and there was one account that said uh, she told them you need to focus on saving the furniture and they said, well, you, you have slaves, you have people here, we need to get out. And she's quoted as saying, never mind about the slaves. Now, neighbors knew uh, the slaves were kept chained, and so they were concerned. They requested that Delphine's neighbor, who was a judge, Judge Kanong, <laughs> let's say it's Kanong, I don't know, C-A-N-O-N-G-E. I mean, that sounds right. Kanong. It's sure. just fun to say. Um, they, they requested that he intervene. And so he asked Dr. Lalaurie that he be given the keys so they could move the slaves out. And was like in, in you know, polite 19th century terms, basically told to shove it. <laughs> sure. So the judge ordered the doors be broken down. And this is where they found starved, chained slaves. Now... There are accounts, and I'm, I'm going to read one of the accounts that, from a book called Ghost Stories of Old New Orleans, published in 1946, which had a whole lot to say about what exactly they found. Quote, male slaves, stark naked, chained to the wall, their eyes gouged out, their fingernails pulled off by the roots. Others had their joints skinned and festering. Great holes in their buttocks where the flesh had been sliced away. Ugh. Their ears hanging by shreds. Ew. Their lips sewn together. Oh, my God. Intestines were pulled out. Oh, I heard that. And knotted around waists. Ew. There were holes in skulls where a rough stick had been inserted to stir the brains. Oh, my God. Gross. Now, this was... Jean de Lavigne's account from the uh, Jean, 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 I don't know, Jeannie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this was the account from the book that was published. However, big, glowing, neon, however, asterisk, there was not a single source cited. And this is not supported by any of the sources that you can actually find about what happened. This was where we really started to see these stories being embellished. 
and this was 1946. Now, they got embellished even further in a book called Journey into Darkness, Ghosts and Vampires of New Orleans, which was written in 1998 um, by Kalila Katerina Smith. Uh it added more explicit details, uh, including a, again, quoting, a victim who obviously had her arms amputated and her skin peeled off in a circular pattern, making her look like a human caterpillar. Another, another who had her limbs broken and reset at odd angles, so she resembled a human crab. I heard about the crab. And again, no sources given. It's really interesting because I feel like it really depends on who you talk to, because when I was when I did the ghost tour that I talked about in episode one, your favorite person, Stella, told us that um, that she that um, Delphine didn't mistreat anybody, that it was just all legends and that like she was just a normal owner and that people didn't like to see a woman in power and so that they wanted to say bad things or negative things about a woman like that and then have it evolve. And I didn't believe any of that, to be well, honest. Well, because she also, she wasn't unique. It wasn't like she was the only woman in that time who was wealthy. Right, which uh-huh. is why that doesn't make sense to me. And, well, and here's the thing. There is, and this was definitely something I found in my research, there is a movement uh, that believes everything we know about her has been greatly exaggerated that there was a smear campaign uh that it was mostly uh, i'd mentioned i think this was before we started recording but uh there was an account i read that that one of her neighbors who gave a whole lot of incriminating details had actually had a thing for her and she spurned his advances and so it was kind of a smear campaign huh however there were articles that were written at the time um so one of the other rumors was that there were 87 victims in total, and 75 of them were found under the floorboards. Oh, my God. But remember what I said earlier? She owned about 54 slaves. So then how did that number get that high? Well, also, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I call shenanigans. Do you know how putting bodies under floorboards, A, you know how much that's going to smell? That is going to smell. Sure. If you're putting them actually under your floorboards, like Yeesh. that's gonna smell. Yeah, that's gonna smell. It's real stanky. And you're gonna run out of room. Well, she did have a really large mansion, so but I mean, it said, it said they found them under her floorboards. There's only so many spots where that even makes sense. And again, the smell. Well, but I mean, even the number. I feel like the number of that amount of people is crazy. I yeah, actually. I heard that the only and this is, again, things I've heard in my travels to New Orleans in the stories that I heard from either a ghost story from one tour guide or another that um, there were only eight people actually killed in that house by her. So this is what I was able to find. Um, there, There are articles that were written at the time. There was an article in the New Orleans Bee that said. Quote, upon entering one of the apartments, the most appalling spectacle met their eyes. Several slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, were seen suspended from the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. 
Language is powerless and inadequate to give a proper recollection of the horror which a scene like this must have inspired. We shall not attempt it, but leave it rather to the reader's imagination to picture what it is, what it was, excuse me. And later, seven poor, unfortunate slaves, some chained to the floor, others with chains around their necks fastened to the ceiling, and one poor old man, upwards of 60 years of age, chained hand and foot and made fast to the floor in a kneeling position. His head bore the appearance of having been beaten until broken. Oh my God. And the worms were actually to be seen making feast of his brains. Oh my God, gross. A woman had her back literally cooked if the expression may be used with the lash the very bones might be seen projecting through the skin i feel like we should have given like some kind of warning at the beginning of this episode of how gross this one's gonna be and then it goes on one a mulatto boy declares himself to have been chained for five months being fed daily with only a handful of meal now, this is what ran in the paper. This is not a crab girl, but this is still absolutely horrifying. Absolutely. Horrific. Like, horrific. Like, you would never think that anyone in their right mind would do something like that to anybody. Yeah. Uh, so that's now, verified, right? This is, well, this is what ran in the paper. So, Okay. So verified in that respect, yes. This okay. was a firsthand account of this is this is what ran in the paper based on what the neighbors saw. Now, there are two ways you can look at this. You can look at this as truthful reporting, or if you are like your Stella, uh, <laughs> this was a vicious smear campaign. However, this is a lot of people to be getting together to create a, a smear campaign. I'm and sorry. I would think too, like the creative mind of the person that would come up with that quote unquote yeah. smear, like who comes up with shit like that? Like well, that's, that's the nuts. Worms making feast of his brains. That just, I mean, again, I, part of why I, I, I kind of marvel at the way things have been exaggerated is you don't need to exaggerate this. This is, this is horrific. This is hands down disgusting. Yeah. And you don't need to take it to the next level because it is already so deplorable. Uh, now, there was a book called Strange True Stories of Louisiana by George Washington Cable, which was published in 1889. Oh, okay. And the following account was given. The sight was so horrible that we could scarce look upon it. The most savage heart could not have witnessed the spectacle unmoved. He had a large hole in his head and body from head to foot was covered with scars and filled with worms. So that goes back to uh, talking about the one man we'd seen. One after another, seven dark human forms were brought forth, gaunt and wild-eyed with famine and tires, having been found chained and tied in attitudes in which they had been kept so long that they were crippled for life. Something by and by put someone in mind to look for buried bodies. There had been nine slaves besides the coachman. Where were the other two? A little digging brought their skeletons to light, and adults out of the soil and a little child out of the condemned well where they lay. So what was the so total? The people, uh, well, so seven bodies found, and then nine slaves besides the coachman, because the coachman possibly left with LaLaurie. 
So that means nine there. That's the nine slaves. So this is what I look to as the origin of those stories. The, the child being most likely the girl, right? And the man, possibly the person who flung himself from the third story window. Um, the, uh, this is further. It would go to say the living seven, the indiscreet crowd brought them food and drink in fatal abundance before the day was done. Two more were dead. So there is nine slaves in total. Two of the bodies were found in the backyard. Seven were found in the attic. Right. And two then passed away after being found. Got it. The others were tenderly carried, shall we say it, to prison. To the Calaboose, thither at least 2,000 people flocked that day to see if they might these wretched suffers. Which, let's come back to the lack of firsthand accounts. Because the living slaves were brought um, to be to be treated, but also to be made spectacle of. Like, people came because they wanted to see them. Right. So you've got, yeah, two bodies found, two more died after they were found. Okay, question. So, is this is right after the fire, right? Yes. So, what happened to LaLaurie after the fire? So, and, and again, this is where there's, there are some varying accounts. She was not arrested, and it looks like she fled. Uh, there's some various versions of how exactly she fled, but some saying she like, her coach burst through the people. Uh, did that happen? I don't know. That's dramatic. But she, she left. Um, the neighbors ransacked the home, trying to destroy everything they could get their hands on. She got the hell out of Dodge. And by most accounts, she went to Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, uh, in fact, she was, she was seen on a boat by a number of witnesses, including a notable poet at the time that puts her en route to Paris. Um, there are some that say she remained in New Orleans under an assumed name, but there's records of her in Paris. Now, there was letters written between her children that would discuss her moods and how she never really came to terms with everything that had happened. There are some that maybe suggest there's mental illness at play or you just have a woman who who viewed people as property and disposable. Uh, there was an article written in the Daily Picayune. Maybe. <laughs> Let's say that's how you say that in 1892, which discussed her well-known eccentricity and her highly ungovernable temper, which at times almost bordered on insanity. Yeah, I can see that. Now, Carolyn Merrill Long, uh, the, the author, she had suggested that possibly it was her final marriage that kind of pushed her over. Um, that it, particularly if, if he married her for her money, that that was something she struggled to deal with a little bit, particularly since she spent so much of her life being, uh, I think having some amount of control over her situation, um, or maybe it triggered something. There's been suggestions. I mean, men taking mistresses is not uncommon. Right. She was a lot older than him. There were some of the things I found suggested maybe he was having an affair with one of the slaves, but all of this is 100% rumor. Right. She took refuge at a pier. She took refuge at a, a family home of her husband's by 1835. Um, in Paris? In Paris. Louis Lauerie left for Havana and by all accounts never saw his wife or his son again. Rough. Letters from her son 
suggests she didn't she wanted to return to New Orleans. Her children were like, hey, no. Bad idea. Yeah, that's mom, mom, no. Uh, records show she died in Paris on December 7th of 1849 and was buried locally. It's said potentially her body was exhumed and returned to New Orleans. Rumors say she was buried in St. Louis Cemetery number one, but big, big flaming but there's no record of that. And the plaque that went up went up sometime in the 40s and is mostly widely looked at as being a hoax. I actually heard that she was buried in that cemetery, but under a different name, under the name, like her last name would be different. So it's like Delphine with like her maiden name or her first marriage name. But none of this is verified. And it's all just rumor. Uh, There's also those that said she did not die. She faked her death, uh, returned to New Orleans under a changed name and there were some records in 1850. Again, she was supposed to have died December 7th of 1849. Uh-huh. But there were some records from 1850 of her challenging the executors of her brother's will. Oh, my gosh. That's weird. So it's possible she didn't die. It's also possible maybe something had the wrong date. She died December 7th of 1849. Maybe the challenge went in before she died and wasn't seen by the court until after. So the dates are off. We don't know. Interesting. But what we do know is that she was never turned into a a immortal person and buried underneath the streets of um, New Orleans, like how American Horror Story portrays. You mean American Horror Story portrays a real character in a less than truthful light? (gasps) Le Shock. What? Yeah. I mean, it's I don't get me wrong. Haunting some weird camp. What? I know. Like, I mean, here's the thing. I love American Horror Story, and I think it's a fantastic show. But I I think for Coven, they really utilized the characters in an interesting way. And they had a lot of, like, truth to the characters, but also a ton of embellishment. So, like, (laughs) a great example of that are, like, the imagery that they create of what LaLaurie did to her slaves. Right. Um, But what's interesting is they have the right names for all of her children. Yeah. Which is cool. I always find it fascinating when there is a certain level of detail, like the the attention to detail for things like that, which like, yay. But when you're fictionalizing so much of a story, I don't know. I just find that interesting. And I mean, she definitely did not know Marie Laveau. They did not coexist. That was something, though, that that popped up repeatedly was it was talk of a relationship between the two of them. Uh which which was really interesting. Um, now, ghost. <laughs> the house was rebuilt in 1837, which is about three years after the fire. And what is important to note is that what we see today bears little resemblance to what her house actually looked like. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it had a lot of owners through the years. Uh, uh, Union headquarters, apparently during the Civil War. Uh, integrated school for young women, uh, music conservatory, <laughs> a home for delinquents, and wow. my personal favorite, Nicholas Cage. Oh yeah, Nick Cage, our favorite. Mm-hmm. Want to, you want to tell them a little bit about Nick Cage? Yeah, absolutely. So Nick Cage is a really um, interesting character. We all have a soft spot in our heart. So Nicholas Cage actually um, purchased the LaLaurie Mansion. And I was reading a really funny article on CNBC about 
all the things that Nicolas Cage uh, spent money on. He, he blew $150 million. Um, and there's a list of all the things that he bought. And it's a, a really, yeah, it's a really <laughs> funny article. But he had a fascination. Still, I'm sure he still does with um, New Orleans. And it's very easy to have a fascination with New Orleans because mm-hmm. of the culture, the history, what have you. But there's been an ongoing uh, you know, tale that there might be some kind of curse that came along with the LaLaurie mansion ever since, you know, Delphine did what she did, as they say. Right. So Nicolas Cage purchased it and he didn't believe any of the, you know, any of the rumors of this curse. The hullabaloo. The- and we'll talk more about some of the other ghost stories. Yes. Um, and so he actually purchased it for $3.4 million, which is a lot of dough. Um, that is a lot of dough. Some other things that he purchased, which I think is really funny. Um, well, he actually spent quite a bit of money. I don't have the exact dollar amount on a crypt for himself. Um, it's a burial tomb, actually. It's nine feet tall, and sure, it's in the shape sure of, a, of a pyramid. And it's in St. Louis Cemetery, number one. Okay. In New Orleans. Um, and it's interesting, fun fact, the way that he was able to um, utilize that space was that mm-hmm. when the cemetery was first created, people didn't have huge tombs like that. They right. just, their caskets were laid down on the floor and they would take bricks and just lay bricks around the caskets until it was fully covered. And over time, they were deteriorated and everything from the heat of New Orleans and humidity and all that and storms um, over long periods of time, everything would disintegrate. And then all you're left with is a plot of land um, with nothing really there. And so he, I guess, contacted the families um, that had utilized that space and spent, I I think it was upwards of over a hundred thousand dollars on that space i don't know the exact dollar amount but i that's what i was told um but yeah so he purchased that he also purchased another home in new orleans for about three million dollars and <laughs> only only three i mean literally this article talks about him spending over 150 million dollars so you know Holy three Lord. is is not that wild compared to 150 he also though um he bought a bunch of shrunken pygmy heads, which I think is very funny. Like you do. Uh, yeah, you know, whatever floats your boat, man. Uh, whatever makes you happy at the end of the day. But shortly what after, just those. What, like, do do you eBay that? What's... I mean, let me uh, let me give Nick Cage a ring and I'd be like, hey, Nick, how'd you get those shrunken pygmy heads? Uh, no, Whoa. I that would be rad. Well, you can buy ones on Etsy, but they probably aren't real. I love wow. that you know that. That's like the greatest thing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anywho, so shortly after purchasing the La Lurie Mansion, which is technically known as one of the most haunted houses in America, which I think is very funny. Everybody the most haunted house in America. I mean, most places that we're going to talk about on this podcast have the claim of the most haunted house like in America. Every serial killer says they're the most prolific, and you're like, <laughs> no, you're not. It's just an opinion, right? 
But I will say that the LaLaurie mansion does have connections to their a curse, quote unquote, that something bad will happen to you, uh, whether it's health related, um, financial, career wise. I believe that after Nicolas Cage purchased this mansion, that his career like kind of stalled a bit or he wasn't really taking on as many projects that were as highbrow as what he used to do going into his period of i need to make money so i will say yes to literally anything right and i don't see that as a slam because i love nick cage and i love some of the trash he's in and some of the not trash that he's in because he's nick cage and what's there not to love this is like during the time when he needed to be picky. <laughs> right. Because he was losing a lot of money. But I mean, if when you have that frivolous spending problem, maybe that's where it stemmed from. Who knows? However, he found out after he purchased this particular home that he actually owed the IRS $6.3 million in property taxes. Well, that's not good, but that's not good. It's really bad. So, yeah. Yeah. So he basically had to make some decisions about properties that he owned and unfortunately had to sell the LaLaurie mansion as well as its other home in mm-hmm. um, New Orleans in order oh, to pay right in order to pay off all of the property taxes both of those things together basically equated the same thing right however his crypt is still there and i well, saw it something. and i took some pictures so we'll post it to our instagram so you guys can see it but um yeah fun facts about nicholas cage and the salary mansion so there are some other ghost stories that I found associated with it. Uh, there was an article written by Emily Hingle called The Mystery of the La Lorie Mansion. In the article, she said that one owner claimed his furniture was being vandalized. Uh, late at night, somebody was coming in and smearing like a dark, smelly liquid. Blood. Furniture. Oh, see, I went poop, so. Oh, oh. <laughs> Well, because the smelling just made me think of poop because poop smells. Uh, true. I don't know that that's true. It could have just been a stanky liquid. Anyway, <laughs> he he waited around to try to catch the person in the act one night and no one came. But then the next morning he examined the furniture and it was once again coated in the liquid. So it was a very stinky ghost. Uh, now there is Exoplasm! <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a local ghost tour called Ghost City Tours, and they actually have a, a number of interesting um, stories posted directly to their website. Uh, they have one specific one, and I, I read a few different accounts of this. So this was this was one that popped up quite a bit about uh, a man in 1894 who had been a tenant there. This was when it was apartments. Okay. And he was found brutally murdered. Oh, my God. In his room. And again, I I found multiple accounts of this. Did I find a name? No. But. (laughs) But this is a ghost story that gets passed around. Uh, Now, it is said that his belongings um, had been like ransacked, like somebody had gone through them. So initially what law enforcement thought is, oh, okay, this dude got robbed. But nothing of his, at least nothing of value, was found missing. Okay. So when the police started interviewing his neighbors about 
what had happened. One of his friends claimed that uh, he was having problems with sprites in his house. Like the beverage? Like malicious spirit, kind of malicious little demon things. Um, His friend had apparently wrote it off like, okay, dude, whatever. You need to drink less whiskey. Um, But he said that his friend, prior to being killed, claimed that there was a demon in that house who wasn't going to rest until he had met his end. Interesting. Uh, Now, also from Ghost City Tours, they have a story about... Uh, so this was when it was uh, an all-girls school during uh-huh. the mid to late 19th century. And it was one of the few mixed schools in the city. So it was uh, then it was converted apparently into strictly an all-girl African-American primary school. Okay. So shortly after this happened, stories of physical assault started being reported. And so the girls would go to their teachers and and say um, that, you know, they would have scratches and bruises on them. And so when the teachers would ask them who was doing this, the, the girls would reply, that woman. What? Now, they were they were little. They were fairly young. It was a primary school. So it's not like they were going to have a, an extensive knowledge of Madame Nallorie, which had happened years and years and years before. And this is also not a story you typically tell tiny children. <laughs> I would, I mean, I might because you're Kim. That's, that's that, why I'm Kim, but <laughs> your average human being probably wouldn't share these stories with a small child. Cause I don't know, it could do some damage. Allegedly. Um, our favorite word. <laughs> allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> but it is really interesting to, to think about, I mean, you know, Madame LaLaurie sticking around to, like, keep messing with with the girls there. I mean, it's on brand, you know? Yeah, it, it, it is on brand. <laughs> Very on brand. Oh, yeah, but... She's At least she's consistent, you know? <laughs> and they, they, have, uh, they have some other stories. They'd had a medium, I guess, who had, had gone to read the house at one point. Uh, their guides have had some stories. And so it, it is worth looking for a more complete list of some of the, the stories they offer, either looking at their website or taking a tour with them. Sure. Because they do have tours in New Orleans. So many tours in New Orleans. So many tours. There have been other reports uh, specifically of, of the girl. Uh, and I usually see the, the little girl who was who possibly jumped off the the roof. Her name being Leah is what I usually see. And I don't know if that is something that we actually know that was her name or if at some point somebody thought it was more interesting for the story and also more heartbreaking if you had a cute little name to go with it. Sure. I mean, most ghost stories are like that, right? Yeah. Because we, we, again, unless you're dealing with the spirit of a specific where you know for a fact the identity of this person, we rarely have names attached at least names that we can verify you get names sometimes from evp sessions right but uh there are talks of of leah the little girl um uh, being seen uh sometimes talks of lights flickering although now that it's a private residence yeah I don't know how often those kinds of stories are like as they get reported. Is this from 
prior to being a private residence? Is it stories from people who have owned the residence? Uh, I had trouble kind of tracking down the origin of a, a few of the accounts, but there's there's a lot of stories of um, mostly the restless spirits of some of her slaves haunting the grounds. Now, given that a lot of the the details of the atrocities have been greatly exaggerated, and in, including the number of deaths, is that the origin of the hauntings? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's had, as we've seen, it's had a lot of different people through there and a lot of different uh, businesses through there. And anytime you're dealing with a location that has a high volume of people traveling through the chances of, of residual hauntings, the chances of hauntings in general go up. Right. So are these necessarily hauntings of her slaves or are they just hauntings because in its, you know, almost, you know, 200 year history, not quite 200 years that the house has been around, there's been a crap ton of people through. Right. And that's like not even addressing the land. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's although there were no I mean, there was nothing I found that suggested any kind of haunting before this. But to be fair, before before she bought the mansion, it was in progress. There was nothing it looks like that had necessarily been standing there. But when you have uh, that like negative energy there in during life too, that could just be residual oh yeah. negative energy. Sure. Um, yeah. Also, fun fact the people that did the conjuring um, are now in works of putting together. They're actually, they've collaborated with the current owner. I mm. believe he utilizes this home as like a vacation home. <laughs> Where's your vacation? Oh yeah. But I mean, maybe he's like us because I would love that. That would be so cool. Yeah. Okay. I, maybe it's just me. <laughs> I think there's I think there's a couple of haunted places I'm a little more interested in. I the history of this place like there's it's I don't know. I know that's weird to kind of have a distinction. There's there's certain histories that I kind of delight in possibly living there. The history of this place though, it's so steeped in negativity and that's true. and hatred and pain that this isn't one I would delight in owning. Like the Amityville house mostly because it's such BS. Um, like a lot of the the haunting stories are such BS. So there's a part of me that would be absolutely tickled to own that. Um, <laughs> Noted. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even with that, there was a very brutal murder that happened right. there. Yeah. Um, living in a murder house doesn't bother me, and and could be interesting, particularly if you're kind of immersing yourself in that history. But the Lalori house, oh, it was it was just so awful. Yeah. It was so awful. And it, it's awful to think about somebody living in such luxury uh, and causing people so much pain. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it's not like I'd turn it down if somebody was like, hey, I'm going to gift you this mansion. Right. Sure. If it's free. That's a different story. Free. But what's interesting, though, is that the people that did the conjuring are actually staying at the house. So they're oh, they're going to be staying at the house while doing their research to see what they can experience. So I don't know if they're doing like a full blown like investigation or like what they're using to document Hmm. or credit whatever it is that they experience. But apparently it's being done in efforts to make a movie about Madame LaLaurie 
and mm-hmm. what she has done in her life. But another note that I like to make, and this is something I kind of found out more about when I was in New Orleans, is that everyone has like Kathy Bates as like the visual for right, but LaLaurie. That's, that she wasn't as old as Kathy Bates. She at, wasn't. At she looked very different from Kathy Bates. Like Wait. apparently she was very. And, and I think the- Kathy Bates is phenomenal and an amazing oh, yeah. actress and fantastic, but they portray her as such like kind of a gross individual. Yeah. Um, and as a real person, Delphine LaLaurie was considered very like beautiful and someone that everyone like admired. I mean, she nabbed herself a, you know, 22 year old when she was in her late 30s which says a lot right yeah so i think it's it's interesting because if you like look at pictures of what she's portrayed as in life it's very different so i'm i'm actually curious to see how that movie turns out for the people that do the conjuring i don't really like i thought the conjuring was great but i know a lot of it's like not as a as a piece of fiction right as as a movie so i'm curious now that we've talked about like facts um things that were verified versus stories and more um and things that have been told for you know a couple hundred years but what's true and what's not i'm curious to see what they what they put out yeah when and again that anytime you're dealing with a historical story where we we don't have the kind of documentation we'd like to have had um it, it turns into a lot of speculation. Sure. Uh, speculation about motives, speculation about... I mean, the, there's correspondence that still exists between her children, and that does give some insight and probably gives us the most insight we have into her. But we don't have much from her. And there's newspaper accounts, but again, these newspaper accounts, for the most part, are, are witnesses after the fact. Right. And so it's interesting. It's interesting. It's, it's this kind of history. I always find really fascinating and really frustrating because I like answers. Uh, I like to, to look at something and be able to say, Oh, okay, this is, this is why this is how this is, this is who. And, and when you're missing big parts of it, um, it can be, it can be frustrating, but, uh, it, it's a fascinating story. It's become fascinating folklore. Absolutely. But I I personally find the truth of her story to be um, actually more interesting than the folklore. Because the folklore turns her into a caricature. It turns her into a... Like a monster. A monster. And and people are more complex than that. I mean, people can be horrible human beings, but very few are horrible human beings 24 hours a day. So I'm well, but but I'm you know what I mean? Like for their entire lives, from birth until death, every moment of their life is spent doing evil. I think it's easy to think that. Yeah. Because then we're not looking at people who do horrible things as people. Right, for sure. 
Well, I appreciate all of that research that you did. Well done, Kim. <laughs> and of course, knowing me, I will continue to research because I'm never satisfied. So. And you know what? I think that's what makes us a great pair because you know that I will go on and on about what I heard and, <laughs> and all the stories. And I think they're so interesting and I'll write them all down. But evidence, evidence, evidence. Kim likes the evidence. I don't mind being the scully to your molder. That's fine. You know, that's why we work. That's That's why why we work. work. (laughs) Well, having said that, thank you, Kim, for a wonderful episode. Thank you, Gabby. Of course. Um, Yeah. Oh, thanks. (laughs) But I actually took quite a few pictures of the Nick Cage plot, the LaLaurie mansion. And so... Anytime you hear us talking about New Orleans or topics having to do with it, we're going to be posting pictures on our Instagram. So check out our Instagram. It's uh, Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Uh, Check out our website. It is www.ghoulishtendencies.com. We also are on Spotify currently, which is very exciting. You can also listen to us on our website. There's a variety of options of how to listen. Many Um, options. Yes. And we are going to be submitting to Apple Podcasts shortly. So if we're not on there yet, stay tuned. But thank you so much for listening. If you have a ghost story or anything that you would like to share, please message us on our Instagram and we can see what we can contribute. We'll also be starting a Patreon soon. So if you like what you hear, let us know yes and and donate (laughs) please but having said that thank you for listening and uh stay spooky